Hey, it's Eric G. Around the House is sponsored by Baldwin Hardware. For 75 years, Baldwin Hardware has been known for its first-class quality and craftsmanship in door and cabinetry hardware. As an alumnus of the Baldwin Hardware Design Council, I can say I have seen the details and quality from design to the finished product. If you're looking for a new style and old-world craftsmanship, I can tell you there is only one Baldwin Hardware. Check out what would look great in your home at baldwinhardware.com. It's Around the House. Now, another one that's been interesting, and this is something that's been complex, and we're not going to get into the weeds on this because, quite frankly, it's boring radio and podcasting, but lumber prices have been all over the board. They have been expensive. They have been cheap. They've been back to expensive again. What I've seen in the last few years, OSB prices where they're $9 a sheet retail or $22 or $28 a sheet retail, when builders have 50 or 60 extra thousand dollars in lumber prices in a house, yeah, that is going to ex- that is going to change how housing prices go. So if you think about it right now, if I took a, 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 a medium-sized house and we added $40,000 because our lumber package went up. When it comes to remodeling and renovating your home, there is a lot to know, but we've got you covered. This is Around the House. Welcome to the Around the House Show. This is where we help get the most out of your home through information and education. Thanks for joining us today. Well, in this episode, I wanted to talk about why housing and remodeling right now is so expensive. And in most places of the country, it has gone up significantly. And there's a lot of different facets to why. And I wanted to talk about those today so you understand it as well as is maybe we can sit here collectively and see if we can do something differently to help change that. Because right now, for many people, especially here in certain parts of the country, there is no way for a kid out of college to even be able to afford a apartment, let alone buy a house with a decent job. And so what's causing it? And let's talk about that today. I wanted to talk about that to see what we can do to change that. The first one that I have seen, and this is depending on where you're located, but um, it's it's a big issue. Building permit fees in some areas are adding so much to a house. Like, for instance, here where I'm located in the city of Portland, their impact fees that they do can be fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars to put a house on a lot, and that's just for the fees. And so anytime that you put on that kind of a hit onto a new home, that gets expensive. And I understand why the cities are trying to do this to cover costs of the building department. They're trying to cover the costs of new utilities. But let's say that there was some crack house there that was in the spot and it was burned down and you're going to put another home in its place. They will still charge you those impact fees, even though there was a house there beforehand. So even though it really didn't change the impact of the neighborhood, they're going to get you anyway, depending on the value of the house and what that is. And I think that is one of the biggest hurdles that we run into on projects when, you know, you have a permit fee that is not reasonable. Now, 
anytime that you're charging that much money just in fees, that goes right to the bottom line of that house. And so that's a big concern to me on what's going on there. And that's can be a big expense. So watch those building permit fees. I think they should be reasonable, but I think they should not be a barrier to entry either. I mean, if you're already spending that kind of money, that's a big one. And if you add fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars on top of a house, that means there's a whole group of people that couldn't afford it because of that, because that's going to push them over their limit on what they can spend. So that's a big one right there. Now, here's one that's really um, a bigger dive here that I want to talk about, but it's a big deal. Like out here on the West Coast, for instance, on my side of the country where I'm located. We have a problem with urban growth boundaries. Now, what an urban growth boundary is, is where cities and states, and most of the time it's states, have gone in and said, okay, we're going to control how much sprawl and how much people build out into the country, which I totally get. We don't need to have all the forests knocked down out here. We don't need to have all the farmland taken away. But here's the issue we have, is it is spiked up the value because of supply and demand of buildable lots. So when you're looking at something that what used to be a $25,000 lot is now a $200,000 lot because we have made it very hard to find buildable lots, the problem is is that gives us an opportunity then to inflate the price of the lots out there. So instead of it being a more affordable because there's a ton of lots to build, what we're seeing is is that it is pushing up and artificially building up those level of homes. And so we need to find a balance between those because what's happening is is with urban growth boundaries is it's becoming, you know, that can add a hundred thousand bucks to a price of a house just because that lot has gotten so expensive. So I think we need to find a balance of what is going to be a buildable lot to why are we artificially pushing that up? Now, as a homeowner, do I want to see them put out um, investment-wise? Would it be smart for them to go out and say, hey, we're going to open up this whole huge big swath of land and it's going to tank our values? Well, no, of course not, because that hurts things. But I think we need to be smart about how we're doing it and create a little bit more space for people to build so we can have affordable housing. This artificial push on these numbers is another barrier to entry for people that are trying to get in there. And I think that's going to be another issue that we need to take a look at. And there's some states like where we're at, a majority of the land in our state is owned by the federal or state government. So that means it's a federal forest, it's a state forest. These are unbuildable places because guess why? We don't own them and nor can we own them. And more importantly, we can't get tax money from them. So there's no property taxes getting paid by the federal government to the state government, really. So that's where we run into these issues. And I want to make sure that we talk about this because it's a big deal. So you have some states out there that have a handful of percentage that is state or federal land. And then you have other states like the, the newer ones out here on the West Coast that have a majority of their land is federal land. And that makes it really hard. Because 
One, the schools have to fight a little bit more because that's not um, people paying on the property taxes and that's not going into our schools. And then second of all, what happens is, is that's our artificially, you know, creating it where most of the land is never going to be buildable because it's federal land. So I think we need to balance that out a little bit. I do not want to see our, our forests taken down, but I think there needs to be a little more balance in this creation. So we can sit here, you know, of the market, the creation of the market, we can sit here and make this make sense to everybody. I think we need to balance that out. I think we need to open up more land. I think we need to have more places to build. But yes, that will come, um, you know, at the, at the detriment to Mother Nature in some areas. But I think if, by, if we do this correctly by creating the right amount of green spaces, we can have less impact. But I think those are two big pieces of the puzzle here of why things are getting more and more expensive is that we have to, one, really be able to watch those fees. And two, we've got to be able to bring land prices down. And that has to be more affordable for people to go in and do that. Now, next up here on the list is a big one, and it's one that we're going to carry into the next segment here, our labor shortage. Now, a lot of this comes down to what's going on in your school district. Yes, what are you doing in your school district to help build the trades? Is there a woodshop program in every middle school and high school? Did they eliminate those? Are those gone because they made them into computer science rooms? Is there ways for people to learn welding? What skills are they teaching in high school for people that want to go into trades? And that's a big issue right now because labor is very high, which is great for you people out there that are working in the trades because there is such a demand, but we're losing so many people. Our labor shortage that we have, we've got millions of jobs out there that we could have across the country for people in the trades. When we come back, we're going to talk more about that and what we need to do to get that changed around because things are going to keep getting more expensive, which means that's harder for people to get into homes. We'll talk more about that just as soon as Around the House returns. What's up? This is Stick and Satchel from Steel Panther, and you are listening to Around the House with Eric G. Yeah. We love Eric G, and you should too. To the Around the House Show, where we help you get the most out of your home through information and education. Thanks for joining me today. We've been talking about why remodeling and new homes are so expensive right now and what's going into that. And so far, we've talked about building permit fees being absolutely insane in some areas. We've been talking about, um, you know, really the cost of land and urban growth boundaries that have been really artificially raising prices out there for property that's buildable. And then next up here, we've been talking about the labor shortage. And this really comes down to you and your school district, which means it's something that you have control of. And people really need to get together to do this. Now, there are some school districts out there that have been stellar. They have shop classes, they have welding classes, they have automotive, they have all the things that they should have in a vocational skills program. And then there's other schools 
that have completely decimated those programs because they are focused only into getting kids into college and they are not focused into getting kids into skilled trades. And those are the ones that are failing our children these days because we need to, every kid is not going to go to college, get a student loan and go out and do that. It just doesn't work that way. But the problem is, is that we have the big business of a college education that has gotten into our schools and has turned around and said, hey, look, um, there is no need for the trades. We are going to put everybody in college and these schools want to collect those college dollars. And the problem is, is what we're doing. And this is me getting on my soapbox a little bit here, guys. But what we're doing is we're making it so these kids are going out and having to spend a hundred grand on an education and then turn around and go, wow, I can't use that. Now I got to go back and I'm going to learn a skilled trade. And there's no excuse for that. We need to have balance in our schools. And that balance means that for the kids that aren't going to go out and get a college education, that are good with their hands, that are going to be really great electricians, plumbers, house framers, contractors, welders, whatever, we need to be teaching those kids without trying to saddle them down with all this debt. And it's crazy that there are plenty of school districts out there that are doing really good at it, but right now there's way more that are not. And the cool thing is, is that you're in complete control of that. So what do you do about it? I want to see you get down and get involved with your, your schools. Now, if there is no kids of yours in schools, it doesn't matter. Show up at the school board meeting, find out. See what's going on. Help get those trades back into those schools because it's going to take us decades to get this back on track, but it's going to be people like you asking a few questions, pushing a few buttons and seeing if we can get those things back into the schools. That's what's going to help us get this turned around for the trades. Now, it's still going to be for decades, a great education for somebody to go out and get into an apprenticeship program and do it. But we're getting to the point now where there's construction projects that can't happen because there's not enough people to do the work. And that is going to artificially raise prices even more and make it so housing is going to be much harder for people. So those are going to be some things that I really want to make sure that we're doing. And that's something you as one of my listeners can really take advantage of and get active and see what you can do to do that. So check boxes here. We're going to talk about we, you know, we've stopped training people in school. Two, we've got the trades hitting the retirement age where there's a lot of people out there with 30, 40 years of experience that are saying, hey, cool, I'm heading to the beach. I'm done. And then we've got to really be able to get the kids that don't go to college, that don't want to go to college. Why are we taking their hard-earned money and them getting loans and having to pay it back when they're not going to use those skills anyway? So that's a big one. So Let's fix that, guys. Let's see if we can start making a dent with that. Now, the cost of money is really a big one. You know, if you look at contracting, you look at business owners, one of the biggest problems we have for small business, and yes, contracting home builders are small businesses. They are. Now, there are some national big companies out there. Don't get me wrong that are the big home builders out there. And you know something? They 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 are running a business as well. But the thing that we have to look for is for small business when they have to pay 25 or 30% to get operating loans 
because maybe they're going to develop land, they're going to buy land, and they're going to build, and they need to carry that loan. That is stuff with our interest rates right now that is making it very expensive for people to be building. If you're going to go out and uh, buy, let's say you're going to go buy five acres and you're going to put on 10 homes on there. Just to buy that land, the interest rate that they have right now is pushing that up even for that short-term loan. So that is adding to our cost of housing. And so until we get, you know, this isn't a politics show because we don't want to do it, but obviously inflation, I took Econ 101, 201. We know that inflation is caused by government overspending. That's what it is. And guess what? We have devalued the dollar enough to do that. And that's the price we're paying right now. So this is black and white. We're going to have to get government spending reined in to get interest rates lower so we can control that. That's how this works. So until we get this money thing figured out for businesses out there, this money just isn't available. What loans people have to get is very, very expensive. And that, of course, reflects in our housing prices. Now, another one that's been interesting, and this is something that's been complex, and we're not going to get into the weeds on this because, quite frankly, it's boring radio and podcasting, but lumber prices have been all over the board. They have been expensive. They have been cheap. They've been back to expensive again. When I've seen in the last few years, OSB prices where they're $9 a sheet retail or $22 or $28 a sheet retail. When builders have 50 or 60 extra thousand dollars in lumber prices in a house, yeah, that is going to ex- that is going to change how housing prices go. So if you think about it right now, if I took a, a, a medium-sized house and we added $40,000 because our lumber package went up, we added $40,000 for, let's say, um, you know, your development fees to your city. And then you had, let's say, another $40,000 of inflated land cost due to urban growth boundaries and that. We just added 120000 bucks to the price of a home. Not even talking the labor. So even if we add in 10000 bucks for added labor costs in this house, we're at $130,000 for an average house. Think about that. 130,000 bucks is a lot of money for an entry level house for somebody. And that's where we've got to change that and make it where we can get into this a little bit better for people out there. And some of this stuff we have complete control over, we just have to change our mindset of how to do that. Now when we come back, I'm going to talk onto a hot subject that I think is a little controversial but for some people, but I think it's a smart easy answer to affordable housing. We'll do that just as soon as around the house returns. Hey, this is Ron Keel, the Metal Cowboy from Keel, the Ron Keel Band and Steeler. We are rocking around the house with Eric G. Raise your fist, make your Welcome back to the Around the House show. This is where we help you get the most out of your home through information and education. 
Today we've been talking about why remodeling costs and new homes are so expensive, and we've been talking about uh, the different pieces of that puzzle. Now, when we went to break, we were talking about lumber prices being high, and some of that has to do with between what's going on in the Canada market and the U.S. market and uh, trade restrictions between those two and what that's doing for lumber prices. And anytime that we're having any kind of a battle like that, that gets to be pretty crazy expensive when we start adding tariffs and things onto that. And so really, we need to have a better relationship with with Canada to make sure that uh, we're getting their wood and we're getting stuff out of the U.S. here and we've got some balanced trade there. And I'm not going to get into all the politics of that. We're not going to get into this whole detail with that. But really, lumber prices are one thing that we can really be careful with and is a commodity. So every day during the week, that price is changing. And so it's a speculative market. And any time that we have hiccups in that speculation, prices go up, whether it's um, a trade deficit, whether it's a tariff, whether it's any of those things, it all affects the price of lumber. So this last week here, you know, our lumber future prices have been down in that $500 range. Now, to put that into a into perspective, back here in 2021 during COVID, they were up in the 1500. So you can really see where that's coming in and making a difference. But I just saw here this last week that Canada is going to challenge the extension of U.S. softwood lumber duties, and so they're going to basically they're saying, and what Canada is saying is the that is unfair, unjust, and illegal extension of U.S. import duties on Canadian softwood lumber products. So basically, the to make this into a, I'm going to simplify this a little bit, maybe oversimplify it, so I do apologize if I am. But there's been a decade-long dispute over the structure of Canada's timber sector that could not be resolved when their agreement expired in 2015. They kind of had this quota agreement thing going on. And so right now, the U.S. Department of Commerce has a July duty rate of 8%, 7.9 on the product. So that is getting extended out. And so... They say that hurts the Canadian lumber market, and of course, it makes things more expensive here. So I understand why the U.S. Trade Representative's Office is saying it's trying to ensure a level playing field, but um, this is where these battles occur, and that affects our lumber prices. And right now, lumber prices are down, but that's because there's not a lot of home building either. So this is where things go. And so really, it's something to take a look at. Right now, we're on the lower side of things. I mean, if we go back into 2020, like first of the year, we were down in the 300s. So really, um, and here's what happens with lumber future prices as well, is it takes it a while for that to work its way out into what are the retail sector. So if people are buying lumber in September, October, whenever that lumber futures price is, that takes a while for that to occur. And then, you know, we're kind of looking a few months out of what's happening in the lumber market for what's happening for builders and remodelers. So these are things to really take into account. And anytime that we get into these trade disputes, those are things that end up costing money, which make it a little bit harder uh, on the builders and remodelers out there because those prices get more expensive. So 
Keep an eye on lumber futures prices. It's a good way to see what the lumber price is going to be around the corner. Now, this is really your dimensional lumber. So this is two by fours, sheets of plywood, OSB, that kind of stuff is what you're looking at when you're looking at lumber prices. So that's really where that is. It doesn't really change what's going on with cabinetry and some of the other finished goods. So just something to think about there. Now, here's another one that has been controversial. And I think it's something that's good, but it's also something that adds to the cost. So changing energy standards are something that do cost and save people. So let's talk about that for a minute. Anytime that we start putting in that we're changing energy standards, it usually doesn't reduce the cost of the materials, right? So if you have a dishwasher that has to come in with the new energy standard stuff, usually those are a little bit more money. And with this, it adds money to it. So for instance, if, um, you know, if you're looking at an induction range right now versus an electric, because you're trying to push that or a gas range, you know, I love the induction ranges are good, but you're going to spend a lot more money for an induction range than you will over on a, um, you know, on a gas range, for instance, it's just the way it is. And to really get a good induction range, you're going to have to spend a couple grand on it if you can find one because they're so backordered out there. There's not a lot on the market today. But anytime that you're sitting there saying, okay, we're going to eliminate gas out of a neighborhood, that is an issue that comes up. It's going to be more expensive on those appliances to get something the other way. Now, the other thing we get into is energy standards because, and again, these are things that I think are needed, but they just add to the price of a home. And maybe instead of doing so many rebates that we end up helping out a little bit better for people that are trying to build affordable housing to get that in there. Because what happens is, is that, um, you know, we're putting in more expensive heating and cooling systems because we need to. We need them to be more efficient. More efficient usually costs you a little bit more money on the front end. Just as, you know, anytime that you're doing this stuff uh, with ERV systems and ventilation, and it, it's creating a healthier home, which is smart, but it costs more money because you're putting more parts inside the house. So. That is kind of an unavoidable part, but it is a part of really creating something that's going to be healthier. That does come at a cost, and that is unfortunate, but there's not really a lot we can do to avoid that except make some good choices on what we're doing. But really, that that added cost adds up when you're building homes, so it's something to consider. Now, I'm going to get on my soapbox a little bit here again on this one. I think we need to create some more spaces for affordable housing and fit in the manufactured home community. Now, let me tell you how you do this. And there are people out there like Skyline Homes that do this every day that can create a more affordable factory built home. You can build developments where the homes are prefabricated. They come out where all they have to do is build the garage that's detached to the front of it. And you'd never know this was a manufactured home community but you can do it faster, cleaner, healthier and in a factory environment with risk, less risk and less material waste than you see. So I propose that we go through and really create some neighborhoods that are built out of these pre-made homes. And I'm not talking about your, your typical double wide mobile home park. I'm talking about fitting them in, 
small lots, nice yards, garages, something that looks like a regular door-to-door, you know, suburbia community. But we can do it with a factory-built home for less money, period. And it's going to look like a regular neighborhood because you're going to have front garages on the front or the side of the house, depending on the design. And you can get those in there and get a turnkey place much faster and much easier with that. So I'm really advocating for prefabricated housing out there to take up some of this affordable housing stuff out there. Because let's be honest, I can I, I, I think it's much cheaper to build a home in a factory environment where you can order sheet goods that are special size so you're not wasting it. The amount of waste that goes into a new construction build versus what's in a prefabricated, it's not close. A new construction build, you've got probably a couple dumpster trips of materials, and you sure don't have that when they have sized pieces correctly where the lumber is pre-cut at the right length. And that means you're not throwing away, which is materials you're paying for that are going in the landfill, so you're paying for it twice. So we got more to talk about this next segment. I want to talk a little bit more about this and how we can create some affordable housing just as soon as Around the House returns. the Around the House show where we can help you get the most out of your home through information and education. We've been talking today here about really trying to figure out how do we get more affordable housing for people out there. And we were talking a little bit earlier about uh, the manufactured home community, about how they're really building nice homes these days. And I mean, quite frankly, some of them are actually better than some of the low entry level priced homes that are out there. So why would you not want to turn around and get into a home that's maybe set on a foundation that you've put it in there like it's a regular house, it's not going to be moved, you've got a attached garage to it. So in all intents and purposes, when you walk into it, it looks like a regular home. It doesn't look like something coming out of a 70s trailer court, which is the the old way of doing it. And I think that we've got some really good ideas out there especially with this pre-manufactured housing out there that can save some time and money. I'm a full believer of building many homes, especially ones that are more affordable, inside a structure that you can take out there and create a healthier home and a safer home without having to uh, you know, give a bunch of subsidies and things like that. I think that this is one smart way to go. I was just recently doing a tour uh, for one of my episodes of Around the House Northwest, the TV show, and we did a tour of Skyline Homes, which, of course, is a sponsor of the show, but this is not any commercial for them by any means. But I walked through them building these homes. It is surprising how much better they're building those homes than many, you know, site-built, stick-built homes. There is so much more steel involved. There are so much more straps. And the things that I like too is that they have larger drywall sheets because there's less seams, which means there's less ability to crack. The drywall sheets are glued, which is absolutely amazing. And all of a sudden, you've got these things that are going on that really hold things together well. 
but you don't have the quality issues down the road. So there's a lot of things that are happening right now in the manufactured housing markets. Now there's prefabs, there's a lot of different things. I'm not talking like the container homes and and that kind of stuff that's a little kitschy, but I'm talking about, you know, people building homes in factories and setting them out to be put together or assembled. And I think that is going to be one of the many things in the future of affordable housing. And I think it's smart. Now, of course, there are plenty of of, of state-run, county-run, municipalities, city, whatever you want to call it, of affordable housing programs out there. But from what I've seen in my area here on the West Coast, private builders can build a more affordable house than when the government builds it. Let's be honest. It's just how it goes. I have seen some some affordable homes that were built um, that were, if they were built by a private company, they'd be uh, they'd be luxury homes for the cost that they're doing. There's just no no comparison when you have a private company build it. So I think we need to lean on that versus government housing because government housing is something that ends up being very wasteful. And there's just a lot of hoops and stuff to go through. I think that that is where many of the problems arise. So let's think about that a little bit of what we can do to build better homes, less for less expensive, but still create the value that these homes, what we want to do is we want to be able to get people into homes. And second of all, when they get into homes, to have something that they can invest in and keep better and not have something that is, um, you know, going backwards like their car. So I think that is something that um, is obtainable. And I think that is the, the, the future of that. Now, the other problem we have too is, and this is something that is, that is happening on the rental side that I wanted to talk about for all you renters out there, is that we've got some issues out there that are starting to happen in certain states where we've, we're really fighting some battles. Like here in Oregon, I would not want to be a landlord, I'll be honest. I, in the past, was a really responsible landlord. I had homes that were well taken care of. We were quick to response if there was a problem because you wanted to keep people in those homes as long as we could. It costs you money if you have to go through and do this and swap people out all the time. So these are things that that can be done. But when it's nearly impossible to evict somebody for damaging the house or not paying rent or any of that, you start putting too much power into the hands of the tenant, you're not going to have people out there renting homes anymore. So what happens is, is when you come in and do a hard line on landlords, and I know people that are renters go, oh, those darn landlords. I get it. And the landlords are saying those darn renters. It's this love-hate relationship, but we need to make it easier for landlords to be able to take care of these rentals and, and do it well. And so the problem is, is when you give too much power to that potential renter and all of that, we end up having a problem like right now where there's areas because of government regulations where people like, forget it. I'm selling all my rentals. I'm getting out. I'm moving out of state. And all of a sudden you have single family homes that are rentals that are great for families. These are for people with a dog or whatever that want to have the next step out of apartment living to get into that before they maybe go buy a home, you have now made that so hard that it's hard to navigate and now it makes it more expensive. And it seems the more controls that they put on rentals, the more expensive it gets. 
I mean, look at New York City, for instance, what they have there. They have plenty of low quality rentals and they have plenty of high prices. And any time that you get people involved in trying to regulate that, it seems to make it harder for people to get in there, not easier. So I think we really need to start having some hard discussions about what can we do to get people into homes and get them in there responsibly. Now, you know, we hear about the the the, the housing crisis as far as, you know, the homeless out there. That's an entirely different subject that we're not really going to address here today except that that in many cases, and I'm going to say most cases, is very accurate, that the people that you see living in tents on the side of the freeway here in many of these western states, and other eastern states as well, but really, in the areas that you see this, this is a mental health and drug addiction problem, and not a affordable housing problem. Because we really have to start taking care of people to fix that. And all the free housing in the world doesn't fix it if they have to follow rules where they're not doing drugs, where they're not hurting people, where they're not in a mental health crisis. We need to get these people helped and a a compassionate way of doing it. And we see that here. Um, I fought for a number of years trying to wave the flag of uh, creating a space here uh, out of an old jail that they had built a brand new jail here in the city. Uh, in Portland, in, uh, in Multnomah County, they never used it. It was a jail facility and they wanted to tear it down and make it into an office complex. And, uh, Jordan Snitcher came in and purchased it at the auction and then turned it into a really reliable and safe, uh, transitional housing for people that are wanting to get off drugs, get off the streets and get into a safe place. They have now turned this into a great place for that because it had everything there. It was turnkey, ready to go. They could have put people in there in a matter of hours. And it was a building that they were going to throw away. And so now you've got a nonprofit that's in there taking care of people. And you know something that is such a tiny little dent of, you know, a couple hundred people in there. But you know something that's a couple hundred people that are getting help. And I'm happy with that. Now, if you've got ideas on how to deal with this, feel free to send me a message over to roundthehouseonline.com. And that's the way to get a hold of me there. And we're going to be talking about with some great interviews coming forward here as well. We're coming into fall, so you know what it is with fall. And it's a happy Labor Day weekend to everybody out there. Uh, this is really a, a, a day to celebrate you and the people, hardworking people in the country out there. But really, we're going to be talking about some really good subjects here coming up this fall, some great projects coming up. And some other great experts coming in. So we've got some exciting times coming up for Around the House. And uh, make sure if you're uh, listening to us on the radio that you follow the podcast. And we have uh, the podcast on any podcast player. As well as our premium content. Which we are going to have some some episodes here in September. That we are going to have at least one or two exclusive episodes for you to catch over there. That will be for our members. And it's super inexpensive if you want to join. If not, no big deal. You can still catch the regular podcast or radio show anywhere you catch us. All right, everybody. Have a great rest of the Labor Day weekend. Enjoy for all you out there that are working this weekend. Uh, We appreciate you as well because a lot of things still have to keep going on these holidays weekends. I appreciate y'all. Thanks for tuning in to Around the House. We'll see you next Saturday or Wednesday on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Around the House.
It's Eric G. from Around the House. Are you planning a decking or siding project this year? If you are, you've got to check out my friends at Millboard. Millboard is a completely different kind of composite decking and cladding that enhances outdoor spaces with enduring distinction. Hand-molded from the finest oak, it realistically mimics the natural grain and color of premium hardwood. If you're looking for something that doesn't look like plastic and instead real wood, check out millboard.com. Make sure and check out that interview we did just a few weeks back. That's millboard.com.